We're excited for what God is doing, especially as we enter into the season of Lent. And as we get going, this is the first, season, the first weekend in the season of Lent. And, and some of us, we, we've been around church for a long time, and we still we don't really understand or know uh, what, what Lent is all about. Some of us are, are new, and you've heard maybe four or five times now in church already, in worship already, you've heard, oh, it's Lent, it's Lent, it's Lent. And you're like, what on earth is Lent? I thought I was at church. And sometimes we feel like, well, if I ask the question, people are going to think or understand or realize that maybe I don't know and I'm not going to fit in. It's kind of like when you meet somebody for the, for the very first time. Have you ever had this happen? You meet somebody for the first time. Happens to me all the time. I'm terrible with names. Awful with names. So I'll walk up to somebody like, hey, my name is Jeremy. And they'll be like, hey, my name is so-and-so. And so I'm like, hey, you know, we have this talk and we have this connection. And then we'll see each other maybe the next day. And they'll be like, hey, Jeremy. And I'll be like, hey, you. It's good to see you. Glad we, we met. And uh, okay. And I don't, I, at that point, I should say I, I'm sorry. I'm name deficient. I have a problem with that. Uh, could you remind me of your name? But that would be the smart thing to do. So I don't do that. So then the next time I see that person, they're like, hey, good to see you again, Jeremy. I'm like, oh, it's so good to see you again too. And time goes on and time goes on and time goes on. And pretty soon I've gotten to that point where I can't ask them their name because then I would have to admit that I never knew it the whole time. We do that with Lent. Nobody explains it to us. And so as a way to kind of relieve you of maybe that curiosity or the pain of having to ask the question, I'd love to just spend just a minute each year when we get to the season of Lent to talk about it. Begins with Ash Wednesday, this past Wednesday, where we come and we worship and we worship to remind ourselves, remind ourselves of the reality of the world that we're living in, the reality of the brokenness that we experience as human beings. We look back in the book of Genesis, Genesis 3, verse 19. Adam and Eve had been placed in the garden, and they'd been placed in the garden, and they'd been given everything that they could ever dream of or want for. In fact, when life was the way it was in that place, death wasn't a reality. But as we know, there was a choice that was made. Adam and Eve, they turned their back. They decided to go their own way. And there was a penalty for that. Not a penalty because God is angry. Not a penalty because God somehow longs to, to, to punish us. Because sometimes I think that's the, the false narrative that we have. That we, we, we think that God's somehow an angry God who, who takes no more joy than anything than just to, to tell us how much of a screw-up we, we really are. But that's not God. But in that choice, there was a consequence. So this consequence, because of their choice, is, is sin. And God says in Genesis 3.19, he says, It was from the dust that you came. But it's to the dust you shall return. There's a limit to your life. We don't have to be reminded of those limits. So on Ash Wednesday, we, we, we come and we, 
we remind ourselves. We, we sit in the truth because the truth will set us free. So we mark our foreheads with the sign of the cross. It was, it was amazing. This last Wednesday, we were getting ready for our noon service. And uh, right before the noon service happened, there was this young woman came in. She uh, was in the police department. She came. She had come to this place only because she, well, was on the same police force as Anthony Bominio. The, one of the police officers was killed this past year. Her husband was in the force too, and so she came, she was on duty, and she said, I don't have time to stay, I don't have time to stay for worship, I'm going to be on duty all evening, but I just need to come. We've been coming since Anthony's funeral, we, we feel that God has called us here, that God has placed for us here, and could you just, uh, could I just take communion, I could I just get some ashes on my forehead, and it was amazing. So a couple of us from staff, we did it in the prayer room and we did the sign of the cross and we gave her communion. And it was so amazing to know that there was one of our finest that was out patrolling our streets, keeping us safe. Marked with the cross of Christ. But it's reality, truth. From dust you've come to dust you shall return. From ash you've come to ash you shall return. But we don't stay there. Ash Wednesday is the beginning of the season of Lent, but it, but it isn't the end. And Lent literally is a journey, 40 days, take out the Sundays, 40 days to Easter, where we celebrate the greatest gift that we could ever be given, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so Lent literally is. It's a journey from death to life. We see that, it literally, the word Lent means springtime. We felt that this week, and we felt that yesterday, the, 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 the expectancy, the, the, the promise that spring is just around the corner. You could, you could almost smell it in the air. It's almost you could expect to, to see new life sprouting from the ground. Spring is a time where, where things that were dead, they come to life, where things that were dormant get active. And that's the gift of this season. It's also the reason why sometimes during the season of Lent, people will give something up. They don't give something up to prove that they're a better Christian. They, they give something up as a way to focus on the promise of Christ. Or they'll take something on. They'll, they'll, they'll take on a spiritual discipline, read the Bible, pray, quiet time, any of those things. But, but it's a holy time. It's time to literally prepare ourselves. So this year, during Lent, during this season, we're going to go through this series. For the next five weeks, we're going to go through this series, and it's, it's called I Am. Based on these statements that Jesus made in the Gospels, most of which uh, we encounter in John's Gospel, where Jesus will say, I am, and then he'll give this phrase or this statement or this word. And sometimes when we look at the phrase, I am, we know that what that is, is it's a marker of identity. Think about when you do it in your own life. If I were to say, finish this sentence, what would you say? If you had to pick a word or a phrase to sum up who you are, what would it be today? I would probably say, you know, 
I'm a husband to my wife, Bridget. I would say I'm a dad to my kids, Trey and Jade. I would say that I'm a sports fan, and I hope to God that the Gophers are winning right now. I would say, being that Wednesday is my 40th birthday, I would say I'm old. And I know that some of you, don't clap for that. I know some of you are like, oh, 40, it's not that old. And I'm not saying that I'm, you know, that it's like, ooh, I just feel like I'm so old and wise. But I think back, and I, I wonder, where did the first 40 years go? Go so fast. And I'm also reminded because when I read now, I got to hold it down really far. Our kids were sick. I talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And when they were sick, my wife handed me one of their medicines. And she said, what's the dosage that they need? To, can you read the dosage on that? And I said, could you extend my arm about a foot? Couldn't read it. I'm going to be the youngest person ever to have to wear cheaters. Wait for it. It's going to happen. But not only do we complete the IM with some of the good things that are going on in our lives, but sometimes... It's also the difficult things as well, maybe most of the time. Say that I'm hopeless, I'm broken. Unfortunately, it seems to me a lot lately that there are a lot, maybe it's just the time of the year. Where we've been sitting in winter in darkness for so long that we feel like the light and the warmth is never going to come. But all too often, people would identify themselves negatively, in my experience right now, more than ever. The beauty of what we experience in Lent and the beauty of what we're going to be talking about is this gets replaced, everything gets replaced by the true statement of that I am a child of God. More than anything else, you're a child of God. You don't get to choose that. You didn't get to create that. You don't get to decide that. You're a child of God. No, no matter what has brought you here, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter how much you may doubt it or may, may be skeptical of it, your opinion doesn't get to change the reality of what is true and what's not true. You're a child of God. And this is what Jesus is trying to tell people when he makes these incredible statements. He says, I am. It's interesting. It's in Matthew's gospel. One of my favorite parts of, uh, of Jesus' ministry, it's in Matthew chapter 16. And, and Jesus and his 12 disciples, these, these, these people who have left everything to follow him, and they're going through this area, through this region, and it's called Caesarea Philippi. And anytime the Bible tells us a, a name of, of a person or a place, the Bible's telling us, take note of where this is or who this is because it's important. So it says that Jesus and his disciples were going through the region of Caesarea Philippi. Why is that important? Because Caesarea Philippi was known for its polytheism. What does that mean? Poly means many. Theos means God. Caesarea, Phil uh, Caesarea Philippi was known for its worship of many gods. 
In fact, the people would worship anything that they thought would bring them favor or or relieve them from the reality of what they were facing. So they were willing to give their devotion to anything that would advance them. There was a place in Caesarea Philippi that was, was known as the Sanctuary of the Gods. And there was these huge altars and idols where people would worship the god Pan and people would worship the god Baal. And, and there was even an altar where people would go and worship the emperor who called himself the Son of God. Which kind of gives us a reason why the emperor would be so offended by Jesus who was the son of God. So Jesus is walking through the area of Caesarea Philippi and, and he asks his disciples, he says, who do people say that I am? What, what's the word out there? What's the most common sentiment? The disciples say, well, well people say that you're, 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 like, you're like John the Baptist, great, great prophet. You're, you're like Elijah, a prophet that we read about in the Old Testament, a prophet who did extraordinary things, a prophet who God would speak through. People say, some people say you're like Jeremiah, another one of the great prophets. Somebody who, who God had used to, to deliver people God's, God's news and God's word. And Jesus says, but that's not really the most important thing. Who do you say that I am? We know. We all know. That the question, if if I were to say Jesus is, if I were to ask you that question, we all know the answer to that statement is going to be as varied as the people in this room. The culture, not just the culture, ourselves. I could say something and make it really easy and and say the people who don't come to church or the people who've never been to church, but that gets us off of the hook. That makes it too distant where we don't have to to really even think about it or or, or deal with. Who is Jesus? Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? What place do I get for you? In a world that's filled with so many gods, it's not that different from the world we live in today, is it? And that's the, that's the hard part. I mean, maybe it's not Pan, or maybe it's not Baal, or maybe it's not the emperor. But what gets the best of you? Who gets the best of you? Where is Jesus in all of that? Not as a statement of condemnation or or threat. Don't mishear that. What Jesus asks his disciples and what ultimately Jesus asks you and he asks me is is an invitation to to a life that's extraordinary, that's beyond our, our wildest imagination. I mean, it's the perfect time to be asking questions like this as we we go through this series that we've been in, starting in in, in January, to know and to be known. We spent January and we spent February talking about what does it mean to know and to be known by one another, which is important. That's why we're doing things like group launch. 
It's important to be community and to stand with and among one another. But this season of Lent, we're going to take a real hard look at God. What does it mean to know and to be known by him? And the answer to the question of who is Jesus changes everything. The answer to that question, the, the, the truth, the truth, the, the true answer to that question, when we get there, will turn our lives, which sometimes seem upside down, it will turn them right side up. We'll get to encounter a God who was created, who created us not to create him. That's what Mary read for us in John chapter 6. It's the Bible reading tonight. It's about crowds of people who wanted Jesus to be what they wanted him to be, not who he truly was. It's important to note that at the beginning of John chapter 6 was when the crowds of people had come and, and they had come at a time where they had nothing to eat and, and it's the feeding of the 5,000. In other, other gospel accounts, when Jesus feeds the multitudes, 5,000 people, if you're just counting the men that are there, probably closer to 10,000 people, the other accounts are the disciples that come to Jesus and they're terrified because they say, Jesus, what are we going to do? The people don't have anything to eat and they're going to expect something from us. John tells the story a little bit differently here. Because Jesus goes up on a hillside, he sits down and he looks at his disciples and he has a discussion and he says to one of his disciples, he says, the people are here and you got to feed them. Philip says, well, how on earth are we going to do that? What do we have? It's near the time of Passover, which was a celebration. A celebration of something that God had done once upon a time. And during the Passover celebration, they, they would take a, a certain type of bread and they, they, they would share it with, with one another to eat. Jesus has the disciples gather up everything that they can find. They have five loaves of bread, just a few fish. Jesus takes the bread and he gives thanks to God for what they have. And he breaks it. And he starts giving it to them to pass out to the people. And everybody that's there eats until they're satisfied. Jesus moves on, the disciples move on, and the crowds follow. And now the crowds want Jesus to do what they want him to do. They want Jesus to basically be their puppet on the string. For them, Jesus is the one who would give them what they want. But that's not why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come to give us what we want. Jesus didn't come to, 
satisfy the things that we feel that we crave. Jesus came to, to give us what we need. It's difference. How many times, either as a child and having your parents speak to you, or as a parent and speaking to a child, do you, do you understand that the child wants something that you know is not going to benefit them? So even though there is something that they desire, you know that it is not something that they need. Jesus says to the crowd, he says, I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you. You want to be with me just because I gave you something that would momentarily satisfy your hunger. But what I came wasn't for your hunger. What I, it wasn't for your appetite. It, it was for, for, for the things in your life that go far beyond that. It's deeper than that. I mean, What do you desire? That's what Jesus is asking. Just a meal that's going to get you through the next couple hours? I mean, is that, is that what you're going to reduce me to? Somebody who just basically can put on a magic show. Jesus says, no, I'm, I'm more than that. Jesus says this phrase. He says, ego eimi, I am the bread of life. It's interesting, this word ego eimi. Everyone say ego eimi. Now say lego my ego. <laughs> I had to say that because I grew up in the 80s. My favorite commercial. Ego eimi. Jesus says I am. We hear Jesus say I am and I am the bread of life and we think that Jesus is just kind of making some sort of analogy. I'm like this. No, when anybody would hear this word, ego me," their mind would go, anybody who was in the crowd who heard Jesus say that, their mind would go someplace far different. In Exodus chapter 3, there's a guy by the name of Moses. And Moses uh, was an Israelite. And the Israelites were in captivity in a place called Egypt. And there was no freedom there. So God shows up to the, the, the most unsuspecting person. He shows up to this guy by the name of Moses, and he says, Moses, you're going to be the person who's going to lead my people from slavery to freedom. Moses says, there's no way I could do that. There's no possible way. You have the wrong person. And if I were to go and do this, who who am I going to say is sending me? Under what authority am I, am I going? I mean, am I just supposed to go up to the Israelites and say, hey, follow me, it's going to be great. They're going to look at him like he's nuts. And God says, you tell them, I am sent you. In the Hebrew, the word is Yahweh. If you look in your Old Testament and you ever see the name Lord, all capital letters, that's Yahweh. That name for God is so holy that if you are a practicing Jew, you would never speak that word. It's too holy. 
If you look at Jewish writings, you'll see a G, a dash, and a D. It's the name for God. It's the God who is, who God who was, and the God who always will be. It's the God who brings people from slavery and leads them into freedom. It's the God who will not rest while people are captive to the things that rob them from life. This is the God that takes Moses and leads them and them out of Egypt. Jesus says, I am that God. I'm not here just to satisfy your appetite. I am here to take away all the things that you hunger for in life. This Lent, we're doing a project. It's called uh, Let's Build More. We're partnering with a ministry called GlobeServe, and we partner with GlobeServe. We've been partnering with GlobeServe for quite, quite a few years now. It's Ghana, Africa. The first Lent project that we did with, with GlobeServe was, if some of you were around at this point, it was a, a project where we were digging wells in Ghana. It was called Water for Life. And we asked ourselves the question, what would happen if we could go and, and provide clean water in these villages that didn't have the access to that? How would it change their world? How would it change their lives? So we dug wells. And in every village that a well was dug, people had their thirst quenched, but they wanted something more. They wanted to know who it was that would love them in this way? Who was it that would step in to their life and its limits? So the next year we built churches, 40 churches in 40 days. We didn't do 40, we did 117. A few years after that we did churches again. Currently, God has, through hope and our partnership with GlobeServe, over 400 churches have been built in Ghana, Africa. Get this. This is mind-blowing. Every week, over 40,000 people worship at churches that God has built through this place and through this ministry every, that didn't know Jesus before that. And the thing is, is Pastor Sam Dunya, the guy who leads it, he's said, well, let's build more. Because there are people in his community who have a hunger to know the God that they, they haven't been introduced to yet, which is what all of us hunger for. At the core of who we are, we long to be in a relationship with the God who does provide. The season of Lent is this journey from death to life. It's a journey from being lost to being found. It's a journey... <laughs> like Abraham, from being a madman to having a purpose. This, this project that we're doing is it's going to be extraordinary. They're out at the display out there. There are little, they look like business cards. And you're invited to even write a prayer or a scripture verse on the back. Put it down in that display. These will actually go into the foundations of all of the churches that we're building. 
Every single dollar that's given will go directly to building a church so that people who are last can be found. People who are mad can be sane. People who don't know Jesus can find life. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. I am God and I bring life and whoever comes to me, whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Whoever comes to me will experience a peace that transcends all human thought and understanding. Because God will take root in your life. Jesus says, don't believe, don't follow me because of what I've done. Do it because of who I am. Because of what I do when I get a hold of your life. Because the world gets upside down. Our lives get upside down. We, in our own way, become mad women and mad men who need to find life. Jesus says, I'm that for you. I am life. I'm the one who can offer that. It was just before Jesus was going to go and give his life up. Again, it was during Passover. This time when, like I said earlier, the people of God would celebrate when God had delivered the people, when God had set them free, when they had gone from Egypt into the promised land. And so they would get together and they would celebrate this meal and they would celebrate all the things that, they, that God had done, but they would longingly look forward to God somehow acting again. And Jesus, he's with his disciples and he looks at him and he, and he takes some bread. And he takes that bread which would symbolize so much, stood for so much. It wasn't just bread. It wasn't just a meal. It was life. Because he knew that as he would leave them physically, that things would probably get crazy. they would need to know that no matter where they would go, he would be with them. 